Welcome back to the show. It's time to get out your sample ballots and take notes as my guest for the whole hour is Janice Wagner, who will speak to us as an advocate taking positions particularly on 11 of the 17 California statewide propositions and measures that are on our general election ballot this November 8th. Jan Wagner is co-president of the North Orange County chapter of the League of Women Voters. Jan Wagner also serves as member at large of the Orange County Committee on School District Organization and as a legislative analyst, K through 12 education, League of Women Voters of California. Her other many faceted contributions in and around the state of California include executive director, Down Syndrome Association of Orange County, governing board member Placentia Yorba Linda Unified School District, executive director of Executive Orange County Coalition of Public School Foundations, and the executive director and president of the Placentia Yorba Linda Educational Foundation, Inc. Her legislative experience includes planning commissioner for the city of Vallejo, the Solano County coordinator for then Assemblyman Vic Fazio, and at the invitation of President Jimmy Carter, she participated along with other California community leaders and legislators at a White House forum. She attended Cal State University Sonoma and later the North Orange County Leadership Institute where she received her California School Board Association certification. With her sharp legislative analytical acuity, she comes to us from Fullerton to take up the California statewide measures. And over the last election cycle, that is prior to the November 24 election, Jan Wagner was kind enough to offer a neutral evaluation on all the statewide propositions. Today, we'll breeze past, perhaps blast through, the following 11 of 17 measures. That's Propositions 51, 55, 57, 58, 59, 62, 63, 65, 66, and 67. Hoping time really allows. Other representatives of the league have been trained to cover in a neutral fashion all 17 of the statewide proposals, propositions, and many of the local initiatives. Welcome back to KUCI and for the first time to Ask a Leader, Jan Wagner. Thank you so much. Good to talk to you. Well, could you please tell us briefly, if you will, about the general procedure, just very briefly, by which the League of Women Voters decides on which propositions it's actually going to be supporting or, or actually weighing in on? The League of Women Voters can only take action on uh, propositions that they have a position on, they, that they have already studied some facet already and have a statement of position on. There are many facets that they have not yet studied and therefore they take no position. Okay. Well, it's it's a bountiful one this time. And folks, that it's been since the last general election when only in the general election were statewide ballot propositions posted. They used to be spread out over the primary. So that's why everybody, it feels like there's so many is because they're only now filed on the general election ballots. That's now, true. And that was done, by the way, because there was a feeling that there was not enough voter turnout right, in it the wasn't, primaries and, and that we would get more interest doing it this way. I don't know if it's turned out to be a good thing or not, but that was the idea. Well, like, like all lawmaking, it's complicated. Well, <laughs> now true. into the first of the 11 propositions, wherein I'm going to use the shorthand labels that's provided in our sample ballots by the California Secretary of State. Let's start with Proposition 51, the school bonds for funding K-12 through school and community college facilities. Well, Cal the League of Women Voters of California feels 
very strongly that all California school children deserve school facilities that are in good repair, equipped to provide all students a 21st century education. If it was a perfect world and we had adequate funding, we wouldn't need to borrow to build. However, this isn't a perfect world, and our facilities' needs are massive and require a large infusion of funding. It's been eight years since the last statewide bond measure was passed. We have chronic underfunding from the state that leaves most public school communities unable to adequately address their needs, and it increases the danger of greater disparities among them. We have a position that basically stresses equitable funding from across our state for all school children. And if we don't have bond funding, that these these monies allow local, local communities to match their local school funding efforts. And if we don't have that, then what we have is a greater uh, likelihood that we will have our wealthier communities able to raise funds to modernize and improve and build their schools where our poorer communities will not. And it will increase the discrepancies between our, our wealthier children and those who have access to less funds. And as far as local governance is concerned, that's been one sort of part of the, the discussion is that the local decision-making, it sort of flattens that to some extent, but you're saying that's well, in the name of equity. Well, these state bond money. Right, right, right. But it's state sort of top-down decision about what, what improvements are to be taking place. Um, local communities use these funds for matching funds and the decisions are made at the local level as to what the actual money will be spent for. This bond simply says that it has to go to K-12 or community colleges or in some cases charter schools and for some um, ROP type programs. Meaning? Uh, regional occupation okay. programs. Ah, okay. Um, so those are, it's a $9 billion bond, and it, um, it has that restriction, but it doesn't specify how the money will be spent. That, that happens when it matches the local bonds that a local community would spend, and that's where the specificity lies. Okay. Does anything else? Sense? Yes. Anything else to say? Um, no. Uh, if 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 you don't, we have all sorts of localities already that have that have passed local bonds, but because those local bonds are insufficient to meet their needs, they're waiting for this money to match, and so those local bond funds are sitting there unspent, hoping that this bond will pass. Um, and because there, we haven't had a. Uh, state bond fund for about eight years now, and as this, well as there will be new ones that will that will come to pass. And remind me, Jan, the percentage of uh, vote approval required for this election, for this bond? 55. This is 55. Simple. Well, a yes. little bit more than a simple majority. Okay. All right. Well, then we have next Proposition 55. It's a constitutional amendment for the tax extension to fund education and health care. And this is one of the most controversial um, and biggest ones on the ballot. It is a constitutional amendment, and generally the League is not in favor of constitutional amendments through the initiative process. However, Proposition 55 is key in maintaining our economic recovery and growth in California by continuing our current income tax rates on the wealthiest 2% of Californians. 
It was established by voters in 2012, and that measure, which was Prop 30, has moved California toward financial stability and adequate funding for education and other services that we depend on, like health care. Without Prop 55, we are afraid we'll be back to the days of pink slips for teachers, overcrowded classrooms, and community college students waiting for years to get the classes that they need. Our feeling in general about tax policy, which is what we base this decision on, is that is again one of equity. We feel that we ensure the fair sharing of the tax burden by accepting the ability to pay as the primary, though not exclusive, criteria for distributing our tax burden with an emphasis on income-based taxes. And this measure really fits that bill. And this requires the, a, another simple 55% uh, This just voter requires a simple voter approval. Simple voter approval, and um, and so the I guess part of the controversy is that people were s sold on this because they knew it was going to sunset at this next year, and they also uh, there's the discussion about whether this binds the state's col treasury collections to the income tax, which changes from year to year depending on the economy. So how how does the League of Women Voters address that? Well, it does put this particular tax measure into the Constitution. The Constitution is a document that is difficult to change, although we do change it from time to time. It simply means that it takes a two-thirds vote of the legislature to put it back, and then it has to go back before the voters to be changed again. However, this does have its own sunset in the bill. This initiative sunsets in 2030. So even though it goes in the Constitution, it has its own ending. Um, the tax period, the tax extension in this, in this uh, initiative ends in the year 2030. So even though it's going into the Constitution, it actually does expire. And we found that in the Proposition 98 that was ostensibly to support education K through 12, that that obligation was not always uh, happening it was not always there and what about cons this constitutional amendment f under prop 55 is that is there an appropriation a misappropriation a reappropriation possible under the way it's been written it has not it does not address that at all it simply is an ex a tax extension it doesn't address how the money it just puts the money in the general fund where the money goes to education and health care is a function of the other way that we spend money. So Prop 98 puts, puts the percentage of money towards schools, and then we have other propositions. We, you know, most of, about 90% of the general fund budget in the legislature is already pre-spent before the legislature right. ever puts their fingers on it. And that would be the case with all of this money as well. Okay. And next is Proposition 57. It's a constitutional amendment regarding criminal proceedings and sentencing. You know, the League of Women Voters is saying yes on this one, too. It was a difficult decision, primarily on a procedural basis, because one of the things that is the most problematic about initiatives is that you only get a yes or a no vote. And so they really only should cover one 
item because you only get one yes or one no. Right. And this really covers two. They are related, but they only, but they, they, there are two things in this initiative. So they, this could be subject to some legal challenge then? This could be, yes. There, it does two things. It reduces or gives better credit for some of the sentencing for some nonviolent felons and therefore moves some people out of our jails, our, our prisons. Our prisons are still under control of the federal, federal government because we have too many people in them. And the other thing it does, and the main reason that the League of Women Voters is urging a yes, is that it changes the way that we handle juvenile offenders. We have a strong, very strong view that we should not be treating juvenile offenders as adults. We feel that to prevent delinquency and serve juvenile offenders, local governments and, and communities should effectively enforce laws affecting juveniles and should do everything we can to try and give them opportunities to turn their lives around. And the way it is today, a prosecutor is the person who determines whether or not an offender between the ages of 14 and 17 is, to, is um tried as an adult. That may never go before a judge. It is completely up to the prosecutor. And we feel that that is just plain wrong. And this initiative would force any time a juvenile has committed a, 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 an offense, a judge has to decide whether or not they are tried as an adult. And we feel that that is of such overriding importance that we're in favor of this initiative. And no other provisions already legislated, like three strikes, you're out, or are, none, none of those other things drive any part of this? Three strikes, you're out is not involved in this one, but there are some other sentencing changes in this. As I say, the, the problem with this one is it also covers reducing the sentence right. for some adult offenders. Okay. Um, and we don't think that's problematic, by the way, or we wouldn't be urging a yes on it. Okay. But it does cover that as well. It does reduce the sentences for some adult nonviolent offenders. And both of those things are in this bill. And you have to be able to say yes to both of them right. if you're going to vote yes. Okay. And uh, I don't know if the League of Women Voters puts a fiscal impact in as a consideration for something, but this obviously has a huge fiscal impact. It does, and it's actually a positive one. Um, this measure could save tens of millions of dollars every year. Okay. Because, again, it is, we are, we our prisons are so overcrowded that we are getting, that it costs us a huge amount of money. We incarcerate a huge number of people. And our, our federal government is, is exacerbating that cost by, in many ways, we have to, they're forcing us to hire large numbers of people that are difficult to hire. So we are paying very high wages to keep those prisons adequately staffed at all levels, health care, safety, all sorts of things to be able to certify to the federal government that we are not violating the civil rights of those prisoners. And our costs are very, very high. And speaking of costs, this brings to mind, too, that we have private and public penal institutions, and this would cover any and all? Yes. 
Okay, very good. All right. Proposition 58 is an initiative statute regarding English proficiency. It's uh, dealing, offering multilingual education. It's a reversal of a previous. It was Proposition 227. 227. Um, that was about 20 years ago. English only. Yes. That was English only, that, that required English only instruction in our schools. And, and it did pass. Yes. And we do have in our schools now what's called dual immersion um, in some schools. But that's the only way that we can bring in um, bilingual education into our schools. So we can, what we can't do is, and about, by the way, 20% of the students in California schools today speak a language other than English as their primary language. I actually thought it was a higher percentage I did too. than that. But that's that's what, what our 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 numbers are showing right now. Some counties much more than that. But that's true. But that's it, statewide. Is, it is certainly localized, and that is statewide. And that and they are not all speaking Spanish, by the way, although that is the largest um, percentage. What we can't do under Prop 227 is we cannot teach a child who does not speak English at all. We can't teach content in their own language and then teach them English in addition. And what, what this allows us to do, or educators to do, with parents' preference, if parents prefer, and if there are sufficient numbers to be able to actually provide a class to do so, is to be able to do just that. Say, put two teachers in a classroom so that math and science can be delivered in a child's primary language and then also in English. Or... English can be delivered for a certain percentage of the day and then increasing over content is delivered in English increasingly over time. What you don't want is you don't want a child to be learning in their own language for five, six, seven, eight years. You want it to only happen for a reasonable transitional period of time. And 20 years ago when Prop 227 passed, that was the fear. The fear was that you'd have a child coming into our schools in kindergarten and still in, be in bilingual education in high school. And that, isn't a, that is just not appropriate. So the position for the, the League of Women Voters? The position for the League of Women Voters is that local educators and local communities should determine what is best for teaching local students. And that if they feel... And the parents feel that teaching a child in their primary language for a, a limited period of time is the best way to teach that child, and they should be allowed to do so, and that the, government, that the state law should not limit them from having that opportunity. So are you convinced, and the league's convinced, that there is enough written into the proposition, the law, that would give local leadership sufficient latitude to Absolutely. do what's best for them? Absolutely. That's what local school boards are for. That's what people elect local school, local school boards for. Plus, we have a new funding model through uh, Governor Brown's new funding in initiative that gives has all sorts of parental input in how money is spent and in tracking the way schools are delivering education, and this ties into that as well. Okay. For those of you who've just joined us, you're tuned to Ask a Leader on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, streaming on the web at www.kuci.org, and posted 
my all of my podcasts on KUC, excuse me, on www.askaleader.com. My guest is Jan Wagner, co-president of the North Orange County chapter of the League of Women Voters, weighing in today with 11 of the 17 statewide propositions in California this November 8 general election. We are just wrapping on up on the matter of the proposition 58 now is proposition 59 it's a legislative ed, legislative advisory question regarding corporations political spending and federal constitutional protections what is the league's position on prop 59 the league is opposed to proposition 59 while the league certainly does not um, appreciate the supreme court ruling on um, citizens united we feel that um, we have way too much money involved in our politics and way too little uh, transparency involved in that funding. Eliminating the corrupting influence of money is a vital concern, but this is a vague, poorly drafted ballot measure and is a, not a solution to anything. A constitutional amendment to overturn Citizens United may sound appealing and it sounds like a quick fix, but it really is slow, it's laborious, it's costly and it's potentially dangerous. Once you open up a constitutional convention or open up the idea of constitutional amendments, who knows what would happen to our Constitution? Well, we feel that voters deserve a fair election system today, not years or decades from now, and that instead of looking to a poll or an imagined silver bullet, we need to try to fix our Federal Elections Commission, expand our disclosure laws, overturn California's ban on public financing for elections, and start looking towards uh, asking our Supreme Court to revisit their ruling. Well, I'm wondering where it's been discussed that since it is an advisory question, if there isn't some kind of political capital that the state of California's population constituency expends in projecting around the country, this isn't an acceptable status quo with the Citizens United and the McCutcheon decisions. Well, it is a nuance, certainly, and, and it does send a message to say we don't like Citizens United. But what this asks is for our legislature to, to use all reasonable means to overturn Citizens United. And it was put on the ballot um, with only Democratic votes and with no Republican votes. It, it was a completely political measure. And as, as we look at it and as we say, we, are, we think that, it's, that the public thinks it's actually going to do something. And it isn't going to do anything. What we need is for our, our public to be paying attention to actual things that will matter. And we also need to have our public be aware of the ramifications of things like constitutional amendments and constitutional conventions. The League just did a study on a constitutional convention, and we find that a very unappealing possibility um, and are very concerned when people start throwing that alternative around. So... Um, we just don't feel that this is, we feel like it's, 
you know, when, when we need, when we vote, we need to vote with our heads, not just with our hearts. Our hearts may want us to vote for this one, but our heads really should prevail. Right issue, wrong tool. Right. That's <laughs> correct. Okay. Well, uh, I'm sure a lot of people are, they thought they're oh, going to write down and then they maybe pull back, but it's this, this is what is so, it's such the forum to have with you. I so appreciate this. Next statute and, or the proposition which League of Women Voters weighed in with was Proposition 62, a statute to repeal the death penalty. And Jan, maybe you'd like to talk about that alongside Proposition 66, an initiative statute regarding the death penalty procedures. I would. I'm glad that you paired those two because they really are a choice. You can choose to vote no on both of these, but don't choose to vote yes on both of them, because a yes vote on both of them cancels your own vote. The League of Women Voters has a strong position against the death penalty. We have been against the death penalty for many, many years. We feel that it is not that, that mistakes are made, and one mistake is too many when it costs a human life. And so we and, and we feel it is not only um, it not that it, it is not only fallible in a in a a, a morally um, indefensible way, but it's also very expensive and um, not very effective. So we are against the death penalty. So well, therefore, we will vote. We are um, urging a yes vote on Proposition 62 which abolishes the death penalty and replaces it retroactively for, with life without the possibility of parole. It saves the state a huge amount of money. We have only executed 13 people since 1978. We have 900 and some odd people on death row. We've had more people die on death row of natural causes than we have executed. Let's go on back to some things that you made me think about. You said mistakes are made. Mistakes are also made in the legal proceedings themselves. That's absolutely true. So the wrong person gets the rap, as it were. It can. Um, I mean, we're not infallible. And that doesn't mean, by the way, that sometimes people who are guilty don't get off. But when you have the death penalty and you make a mistake, it costs someone their life. And we're just not willing to do that. Now, Proposition 66 actually makes it easier to to carry out the death penalty. And that's why you don't vote yes on both. If, If you're against the death penalty, you don't make it easier to carry it out. So Proposition 66 is a what we feel is a poorly written measure that would greatly increase California's risks of executing an innocent person because it would shorten the time for appeals, it would limit the prisoner's ability to present new evidence of their innocence, it would raise significant constitutional issues which in turn could cause more delays, increase costs, and add layers of bureaucracy. It's estimated that the state would need as many as 400 new taxpayer-funded attorneys to meet the demand of Proposition 66. Wow. So that's the fiscal impact. I'm, while you're talking about that, I'm leafing through the, the telephone size, <laughs> telephone book size uh, 
proposition booklet from the S Secretary of State to see what the, they mentioned as the fiscal impact of Proposition 66. It's you know, I I can leaf through my pros oh, I can, and cons I can, and get it for you. I can you. while you're I can while you're answering that. So okay. So and the other uh, thing I was like wanting to find out was with Proposition 62, what is the retroactive line that's being drawn? Retroactive, there is no line. Anyone who is on death row would be, it, their, their so, sentence would change to life imprisonment all without of them. possibility of control. All of them. All of them. No matter where they are in the process. That's correct. Okay. Yeah. So, and... And, and you know what? I, I, I am incorrect. I said there were 900 prisoners currently waiting. There are 748. I was wrong about that. Well, it's, I don't know very many will pass the quiz to know that. So, <laughs> uh, so that's the number. Okay. Well, did you want to add anything else? According to, to I'm, I'm just, I've got the cost for you. The state would save around $150 million annually if we replace the death penalty with, um, with life imprisonment for, without the possibility of parole. And I'm looking at the fiscal impacts of 66. I'm not pulling up any particular It says long-term costs are not clear. Not clear, that's why. Um, they feel that it, they would increase in the short term, probably in the tens of millions of dollars because of increased court costs. Um, it could, um, because it would disperse death rows to all the other prisoner to all the other prisons, it could save some money there. And does the fact of how juveniles have been treated as adults, has that been driving part of some of these measures? doesn't have anything to do with Proposition 62 or no, 66. But, I, okay, I just didn't know if in the background it was one because, it, I mean, for some, it's sort of a, a for a, a you juvenile to be treated as an adult, they would be serving such a long sentence on death row that there, you know, there would be, and the, the, the kind of, the human rights aspect of such a long sentence. Well, is, that's so. true. I think the bigger issue that we're finding cost-wise with death row right now, because I think it's very, very unusual for a, a juvenile to be sentenced to death, um, but I think the bigger issue cost-wise is that uh, it's our, we have many, many, many people on death row who are getting very, very old. Right. And we're taking care of these very aged people and all of the health costs that are involved with very aged people. Right. And they're... Uh, I mean, once someone's in prison, they're ours. We, you know, they, they are completely our responsibility. And it seems like the more, you're, the, the more geriatric care, the, more, the less likely this person is really any danger to to their community when if they were to be uh, well no you're saying that they could be on life on uh, they, a life sentence no, they're not being no released possibility of yeah. parole. no no, no. no. Okay. there would never be a possibility never. of parole all right well that's that's another issue this to clear up there okay how about then jan wagner proposition 63 it's an initiative statute concerning ammunition sales and background checks and that's only for california every state handles this differently so you can, the state can only handle what's, uh, you know, the state transactions, not border states transactions. So tell us what the position the League of Women Voters has on Prop 63. The League of Women Voters has a long record in opposition of uh, or, or in favor of gun, gun control. You know, the facts are pretty sobering. From 2002 to 2013, 38,576 Californians died from gun violence, including over 2,200 children. In the U.S., more than 300 Americans are shot every day, more than 80 of them fatally. 
Prop 63 helps counter those statistics by shortening background check systems and ensuring that California law enforcement shares data about dangerous people with the FBI. It ensures that dangerous criminals and domestic abusers sell or transfer their firearms after they're convicted. It requires businesses that sell ammunition report lost or stolen ammunition. It requires people to notify law enforcement if their guns are lost or stolen. And it ensures that people convicted of gun theft are ineligible to own guns. It also requires that no one can buy a gun magazine that is a a high-capacity gun magazine. Meaning, does it have the number in there? Ten. Ten is high capacity. Which means a lot of bullets a in lot a of very bullets. short amount of time. That's correct. Okay. Um, so we we had some of the legislature t- take up the aspect of making it a little more manageable to intervene where there is a mental incapacity or cognitive incapacity uh, about own- a gun ownership. So this is a sort of a complementary measure. It's an initiative statute. What would it take to to amend this in any way before the state legislature? Um, Let me take a look here. This is... This is an initiative statute. Yes. So it it could be amended by the the legislature. In a two-thirds? No, just a regular vote. Okay. Just just a majority vote. Um, And it... um, By the way, there is already a bill that has been passed by the legislature that is requiring background checks for um, ammunition purchases that would go into effect in 2017. That has already passed. It does not go so far as to um, require convicted felons to, to, it doesn't set in a procedure for them to turn over guns, which this does. And it does not outlaw high-capacity magazines, which this does. This one does. Mm -hmm. Okay. And was this a bipartisan measure? No. It was not. Was this, again, one party only? It was all but two votes in favor were Democratic, and all but an equal number um, in opposition were Republican. Any other floor debate material? Anything else? I don't know. That's that's all I can tell you on on that one. And as I was saying, it's important that these kinds of gun control measures, since they are so different from state to state, that for one state's prohibitions on certain me- or measures to addressing gun control only are as good as how surrounding states are able to, to manage similar liabilities. So it's That's a, true. It's a I concern. mean, California does have more gun control measures than most surrounding states. Um, and but they're working. You know, we do seem to have uh, a better record than most of the surrounding states, and our our violence seems to be decreasing. And so it it does seem to be. And we're a big state, so um, we haven't tried registration on um, ammunition. We'll we'll see. So I, I, I digress one moment, though, but I was told by an advocate from the Brady Campaign for the Prevention of Gun Violence that when they go to gun show events in Nevada, the license plates are coming from California. So 
It's, so it's, it's sales are brisk <laughs> from okay. customers from outside of those uh, our board season meeting from here. 65, propositions, I mean, 64 is an initiative statute for the legalization of marijuana. What did the League of Women Voters do with that one? The League of Women Voters didn't take a position on that. One. Oh, I, so I put that in. Okay, and there's a reason for that. Is there? There a, is because we have not we have not studied the legalization of marijuana. Okay. Um, and so when we don't study something thoroughly, we don't take a position. That's right. I I put that in one place, but it's not showing up in the other. Okay, so we are going to look at the initiative statute regarding carryout bags. That's Prop 65. And those those are charges, and then pairing that with the discussion, as long as you like, with Proposition 67, a referendum banning single-use plastic bags. This is not as easy as it looks when I review it. It really isn't, and it's best, if you don't mind, if we talk about 67 first. Oh, I don't mind at all. 67 is the referendum, and 67 is talks about, okay, a referendum is when the public is asked to vote on whether or not to enforce a law that's already been passed by the legislature. So the legislature passed California's plastic bag ban, and as soon as it passed, the plastic bag industry started gathering signatures to get it to stop. And so it's never gone into effect. What it does is it says that single-use carry-out bags, these are the kind that you get at the grocery store that have a handle. They're not the kind that you put oranges and apples in at the produce area, okay? Right, the ones we get at farmer's markets, grocery stores, uh, right. big and, box and stores. And they only are for certain places. They're only from grocery stores, large drug stores, and liquor stores. There are okay. some places that aren't affected by this law. Okay, so what this law says is that stores up all over California will not be able to, to use those bags, those single-use plastic bags. Instead, they are to provide paper or multi-use bags, and they're to charge $0.10 cents for them, and they keep the $0.10. Cents. Okay. And no... no sort of obligation to, to use the 10 cents per bag in any particular way? No. Basically, the idea is that it offsets their cost of converting to whatever they're doing. Okay. Okay. Um, so, the plastic film, the League of Women Voters urges a yes vote on that, on the referendum, meaning 67. go ahead and let, 67, go ahead and let the law go into effect. A yes vote on a referendum means you want the law to go in effect. A no vote means you do not. We urge a yes vote. Let the law go into effect all over the state. These plastic film bags pollute our oceans, pose a deadly threat to marine life. They clutter our landscapes. They create toxic byproducts when manufactured. They're very difficult to recycle. California grocers and retailers support the ban, and many cities and counties have local measures that are working, but it's a patchwork up and down the state. Now, what we say no to is Proposition 65, and it was also put on the ballot by the plastic bag industry, as was 67. And they did it, in our view, to confuse everyone. Oh, 
Um, and what it, all it does is say that the 10 cents goes to an environmental fund instead of to the grocery stores. That's really all it does. And the reason that we say vote no on that... On 65. On 65 is because they want that we feel that the plastic bag industry put this on the ballot to damage a hard-won agreement between environmentalists and grocers that made the plastic bag ban possible. It's not about helping to fund environmental programs, but is simply intended to cause enough voter confusion that the more significant environmental measure in Proposition 67 fails. So we're saying don't be confused, vote no on 65 and yes on 67. So is this a kind of a, is there a, a tax then from coming out of this referendum? No, there's that no tax. That meaning that the, it's just that the 10, 10 cents comes out of how? The 10 cents is simply charged to the consumer. Okay. So that's what I mean, like it, it's a, well, that's what I mean by a tax. It's I guess a, it's a fee. It's a, yeah, it's a it's, fee for it's a fee that, per that, shopping uh, visit kind of thing. Right, Not right. per, it's not right. Uh, Prorated to how much? What's the value of your transaction? Nope. It's nope. just your your ka-ching it's, at the it's at the till. Bag. Okay. It's per bag. It's per bag. And you can choose not to have a bag. By the way, I I was shopping. I was spent a weekend in Palm Springs the other day, and I was shopping at a store, and they asked me if I wanted a bag for that, and I had a a large purse, and I said, no, I don't think I need one. Um, and they said, okay. And my friend with me, um, they asked her if she wanted a bag, and she said, yes, please. And they said, okay, we have to charge you $0.10. Cents. Um, so you have a choice. So for the local jurisdictions that have already adopted some form of this, this um, how does this affect that? It doesn't, it, it doesn't do anything at all. If, it's neutral if 67 there. goes into effect, it simply makes it the same way everywhere. If 67 fails, the local um, jurisdiction measures are unaffected. They still stay in effect. Um, if 65 passes and six, okay, let's let's go through the various scenarios. Okay, do. If 65, if 67 passes, we have a plastic bag ban all across the state, and this and the um, if 65 passes and 67 fails, then we simply, we don't have a plastic bag ban all across the state. We have whatever we have now, and nothing happens about an environmental fund or anything else, because the only way that happens is if 67 passes. Okay. If they both pass, then the question simply means, are, is the 10 cents going into an environmental fund or is it going to the stores? And that will be determined by which vote, which gets the most votes. Okay. Okay. Wow. Well, for those of you who've been listening, uh, just joining us, my guest here on Ask a Leader is Jan Wagner, and she is co-president of the North Orange County chapter of the League of Women Voters. They have been spending so many careful hours deliberating about the positions they have taken on 11 of the 17 statewide propositions in California. So is there, in that we can, as we're beginning to wind down, Jan Wagner, was there uh, anything special about working on 
coming to a consensus about which ones there would be a position taken on or within an individual proposition that was different from previous election cycles? I don't think so, other than that there were so many this time. I mean, we go through this process every election, and we have a a very long and well-established list of policies that we measure these propositions against, and they they fit or they don't, and we we do deliberate, and many of them hit many policies. We do check whether or not they make the budget worse or better, as well as whether or not they meet a policy worse or better, and we debate which is more important. You know, if it's right. good for schools but it's bad for the budget, you know, which which one wins? And and that, by the way, is often the case. Right. You know, um, so it's it's always a very interesting discussion, and um, ultimately, though, it it ends up being a very helpful one. We, as you know, don't take positions when we don't have an underlying policy that will allow us to do so, and we are are happy to be able to have that bedrock behind us. I would like, if you will give me just a moment, Please to do. make one other statement, though, that is a bit unique this year, and yes. that is that, you know, we have recently heard called into question one of the core tenets of what the League of Women Voters is all about, and that is voting. Wow. Um, we have seen and heard a lot of uh, question about whether or not our voting systems are valid and voting is is a valid exercise in this country and we need to get the word out as clearly and as loudly as we possibly can that every vote matters and when we go to the polls we are all equal that it is important to vote that we have no no knowledge of any widespread voter fraud in this country and that people have lived their lives and given their lives for the right to vote and that we have the best, most reliable election system in the world in this country. And if anybody is watching, it is the League of Women Voters, and we are watching very carefully. In every nook and cranny, federal, every nook and cranny, national, state, and local. You bet. And we need to vote, and we need to know that we can have confidence in our election process. So I think the last question would be, the League of Women Voters must count on certain kinds of resources. I know you're doing very careful legislative analysis when these some of these propositions come out as referenda from the legislative, uh, or, you know, sessions, but are there other sources that League of Women Voters works, uh, uses, and would be something you would, in a sense, endorse for the, the voter that you're talking to right now? Oh, sure. We use um, what one uh, wonderful one in terms of following the money is um, CalAccess, and you can find them online, calaccess.ca.gov. Um, they are. They have an almost daily tracking of who's spending money to support what proposition, and following the money is a really good way to find out whether or not you're going to agree or disagree with what's going on. Uh, VotersEdge.org is a wonderful site that will help you customize your own ballot um, and will will help you in that way. 
So those are a couple really good. If you want to get involved in civil discourse, just talking online with reasoned people about um, who want to talk civilly about issues, go to something like Village Square. Um, those are people who, after after the attempted assassination of Gabby Giffords, that was the uh, University of Arizona, ASU, set up village, uh, a series of village squares, online marketplaces where people could, could talk civilly about public issues and try and get us back to civil government. And do you know if it's, what's the domain for that, village square? Dot? If you just Google village square, then you'll get, to that. Okay. You'll get it. Okay, that's good. Um, those are all wonderful, wonderful places to begin. Well, I want to thank you, Jan Wagner. You're always so thorough and so measured, and I, I, I'm, I, I'm not sure I can I agree with every position that's being taken, and I, I really appreciate he hearing the thoroughness and the, the, the whole decorum that you bring to this. And, uh, yes, it's a great idea for civil discourse to take over. I think people maybe hedge against giving that a go, but... It's really remarkable that it really turns out more civilly than people realize. That, that It's not hard to keep it civil. It really isn't. Well, what we need to do is we need to get to the point where we, we don't have to agree. Agreement is not the goal. What we have to do is be able to hear, truly listen and hear what each other are saying and try and understand. That's all. That's all. That's all, and that's everything almost. Well, I want to thank you, Jan Wagner, for being on Ask a Leader today. Jan Wagner is, the, as I've said, is the co-president of the North Orange County chapter of the League of Women Voters, checking out those propositions for us and a resounding affirmation of that righteous act of voting. Thanks again, Jan. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. And now for some announcements. The deadline for California registration was October 24. That is over. Now on to casting your ballots. Full service early voting is open at the UCI Flagpole Pavilion adjacent to the administration building on November 1st from 7 a.m. until 8 p.m. Other opportunities for early voting in Orange County are at the following locations from October 29 through November 7. That is at the Irvine Civic Center, Anaheim Civic Center, the Westminster Branch Library, Costa Mesa Community Center, Mission Viejo City Hall, and the Orange County Registrar of Voters in Santa Ana. All the addresses are posted on www.ocvote.com forward slash vote center for actual times. This is an opportunity, this early voting, to do it on a week and days. And for the fun of it all, the Trevor School of the Arts at UCI will have an open house on October 27th from 5.30 until 8 at the All Arts Campus. You can celebrate their annual open house. The event is a rich palette of performances which showcase the talents of the students and the faculty. Art exhibitions, musical concerts, dance performances, dress rehearsals, and more take place in various Trevor School venues. So you can get behind the scenes, look at the productions as your tour practice and performance in the spaces there. So join uh, them for the an evening of food and festivities throughout the arts campus. It's open to all seasoned patrons as well as the general public and admission is free. 
Well, this is Claudia. This is my wrap. Next week, I'm going to have on the show more local candidate coverage with Irvine mayoral candidate Don Wagner, city council candidate Christina Shea, and mayoral candidate Catherine Daigle.